holistically, although we are leading, United States companies and U.S. is leading in this space, China should not be underestimated. We see that they are going through some serious economic challenges, but because they put technology at the center of competition and they view it as a solution to how they can achieve their global commanding heights, as they say, you know, we should take them seriously. Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, why it's critical for the U.S. to position itself as the leader in generative AI and other takeaways from the Special Competitive Studies Project's new report. It's Thursday, September 28th, 2023. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast where you'll hear the latest news and trends facing government leaders. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Billy Mitchell. Here's what's happening now. The Department of Energy is leaning in on generative AI. Energy CIO Ann Duncan told FedScoop in a recent interview that the department is working on a pair of projects related to generative artificial intelligence. These initiatives, which are still in development, include a user guide focused on how the technology correlates with the department's existing IT guidelines, as well as an AI discovery zone sandbox for working with these systems. Duncan said that the department's current IT policies provide, quote, more than sufficient guidelines on how to use AI, but added that the upcoming guide will also help connect those policies to the emerging technology. And the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency is set to release new guidance around its Secure by Design initiative in the coming weeks. That's according to Eric Goldstein, the agency's Executive Assistant Director for Cybersecurity, who spoke in an event hosted by the Washington Post on Tuesday. Goldstein didn't elaborate on what the next version of the guidance would include, but did say that there are, quote, a vast array of countries who are aligned with us on this effort, and we'll also be putting that out for some public comment to make sure that we're getting the best sense of the global community in the guidance. You can read more about these stories and much more at fedscoop.com. The Special Competitive Studies Project, which has continued the work of the now-dissolved National Security Commission on AI, issued its latest report recently on generative AI and its impact on the global competitive landscape. That report states, among other things, that recent advancements in AI come as transformations in geopolitical structuring resemble that of the days leading up to World War I. And because of that, quote, This moment provides the United States government with a unique opportunity to lead with conviction as humanity enters a new era. Ili Bayraktari is CEO and president of the Special Competitive Studies Project, and he joins me now to discuss the major takeaways from SCSP's new report and the stakes at play for the U.S. as it looks to embrace AI for defense, national security, and more. Ili, welcome to the podcast. Good to see you again. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me again. So, Illy, uh, we've been following the work that uh, you have been doing for quite a while, and uh, you you just released the report called The Generative AI, The Future of Innovation Power, and I'd love to start there today. If you could tell me uh, a bit about some of the major points and takeaways in that report and uh, things that you found that stood out to you the most in doing that work. No, thanks, Billy. Uh, uh, so, to answer your question, uh, the report was really inspired by Eric Schmidt, who is the chair of SESP. And the piece he wrote in Foreign Affairs last spring called Innovation Power. Mind you, this is the first cover page of Foreign Affairs that had a technology topic uh, as a cover. And so in that piece, Eric really argues that the nations that will stay ahead uh, you know, going forward are the ones 
that are able to create and foster the ecosystem where the private sector, academia, and government continue to innovate and build the next generation technologies. We agree. You know, at the SCSP, we believe the future of power relies on the country or countries that will be able to accelerate innovation. And AI is a catalyst to that. Just as, a, just as a reminder, one of the most powerful models that was released was not released by United States, China, or any EU countries. It was released by UAE and its model called Falcom. So the innovation is going gonna, is gonna to come from places that you know, were not traditionally considered innovative in the past. So we just have to be mindful that we're entering a new space. And as Eric argues, though that country that uh, has innovation power, that country will continue to, to, nom to dominate in the future. Uh, to your question about our report, we provide two overarching principles. The first is that we got to treat generative AI as a national security issue. When you look back at our history, really, uh, you know, Washington always put weight behind technology like nuclear weapons and electricity because of their importance. And Washington provided a vision for success. I believe we're now in a similar situation with generative AI, the ability to develop and deploy advanced AI systems can enhance the nation's strategic advantage. It will deter our potential adversaries and it will ensure our national security interests are protected. The second principle we argue is that we have to admit that we are in a platform competition against China. While you know, its current generative AI models, the Chinese generative AI models lag behind our or United States platforms, the People's Republic of China is among a very short list of nations capable of building and deploying frontier large language models or FLLMs. Generative AI is opening a new front in the technology competition. We're entering a new era of uncertainty. And we argue in the report that America must actively engage in these platforms battle to ensure that our national security, economic prosperity, and societal well-being are protected. Well, Ilya, it seems like the stakes are pretty high with uh, uh, this sort of um, race for for or or, or con contest for AI uh, dominance or or I guess um, uh, leadership globally between the the U.S. and China. But um, you know, I, I I'm interested to talk more about the generative AI notion. It, we've seen it has picked up a lot of momentum in the past year. It's honestly not something I've heard a lot about until the past year. Uh, but a lot of officials in government, particularly some DOD officials, are a bit skeptical about its potential. So I'm curious, you know, in the report, what made you decide to focus specifically on generative AI? And I'm, I'm curious if, if some of those findings kind of lead you in a direction to maybe um, uh, go against what some of those DOD officials or give you more kind of credibility that this is the future of the direction that AI is taking. Yeah, no, that's a great question, Billy. And as you know, uh, we've been involved in AI, so like world for the last five or six years, first with the AI Commission that Congress created, and then with a special competitive studies project. Um, you know, I've watched this space really evolve over the last year. And every time some skeptics would say that we have reached so like another AI winter, some new platform, some new innovation would come out and really take us by surprise. And I think generative AI was that last one that took all of us by storm because it a talking point among everybody, among different generations. People start using it. Some of the analysis I saw that 
you know, 60% in workplaces have already used it one way or another. And so, you know, give, when you think about this technology that was just released last November, you know, it is normally powerful. It's transformative uh, on one end. Um, you know, one of the data points that we use in our report is that I think it took Gmail to get to 100 million users five years. And I think it took OpenAI three months to get to 100 million users. So, I mean, the scale and scope of these new platforms is just enormous and so powerful that you cannot ignore it. Um, to the DoD officials who are skeptical about the potential of this, um, I think you got to view it broadly in terms of where is the AI evolution going from here. And I think generative AI specifically has, in our mind, four areas that I think DoD can benefit from. One is decisional advantages. I think we would argue in our report that the Department of Defense would be better served by using these models because it will provide, you know, all people at all echelons with more options to consider. I don't know if you've ever used one of these models, Billy, but like if you say like, hey, give me options for any problems that you're facing, it's going to give you five options. Humans usually would think about three or four, but yeah, I think these models give, will give you more options to contemplate and you analyze. So I think it would help you know, uh, the, the leaders in the building really who struggle and grapple with decisions have a broader appreciation for the options that these models will provide them. Uh, we argue that the second options that the DoD would benefit from these models is by uh, helping them enhance operations. A uh, couple of areas here we identify as number one is logistics. Obviously, it would help streamline logistics, prioritize, deprioritize, you know, how the Department of Defense does logistics. The second area would be the global force management. And I know the building has really explored this area in the past. But as you know, uh, the Department of Defense is involved in deploying capabilities and people um, in daily basis. And I think these models can help with, you know, providing uh, prioritization, investments areas that we need to focus on more, divestments areas. Uh, so that is the second category we argue in our report we should focus on for DoD. Third area of talent. Obviously, uh, these models open up a completely new area for how you train, how you cultivate talent. And I think the Department of Defense, because it's in a business of really creating talented individuals, uh, you need to have new processes, uh, new courses on play to, you know, what the future entails. Because, you know, what while coding was like, as you know, a really appealing profession a couple of years ago, it seems to me now with large language models, you're entering a new uh, space of new requirements. You know, prompt engineer would somewhat, some would argue might become like the second most popular profession out there. So we need to be able to provide our men and women in uniform with all the skills necessary to conduct their, their work. And the, the last uh, area is the new defense measures, whether it's in cybersecurity, bioweapons, all these things. You know, large language models open up a new set of threats uh, for our Department of Defense. Uh, at the same time, we should be able to uh, red team these models, uh, find, uh, you know, weaknesses. We know hallucinations are a big problem. Uh, and so I think as new threats emerge from these new models, I think our Department of Defense should be able to understand these threats better and, and, and be prepared better to address these threats.
There's a lot of interesting use cases there that you mentioned. So thanks for that, Illy. Um, I'm curious, though, you know, the report sets out a number of principles and objectives that should be uh, up front and center for the U.S. as it's on this journey to um, adopt more AI and generative AI. And I'm curious where the nation is now in relation to those and how uh, how should it go about uh, doing those things so that it can successfully meet those objectives and principles? Uh, so in addition to principles, Billy, I mentioned earlier, which were like, this should be a national security issue. And the second one is that we should really compete more effectively in the battle of platforms. Um, we argue that we need to have two objectives going forward and three moves to achieve those objectives. The first objective is really that in coordination with our allies and partners, we need to lead AI innovation and set the rules of the road. While we were struggling in Washington to find the way in the rules of the road uh, category, Europeans have provided their vision about how they see this going forward. China on paper has some of the best laws in this space, but we know how they implement those laws in practicality. So we are at the pivotal moment where we have to be proactive in establishing a framework of rules and norms in order to thrive in a world characterized by shared values. The second objective we argue is, again, always closely with allies and partners, we need to work to avoid a destabilizing AI arms race. The potential of these weapons and a global arms race is real. We should not ignore it. There are countries out there that have doubled down, primarily China, in getting ahead in these technologies. And so we must work together to, to promote transparency, trust, and collaboration to mitigate these risks. We never want to end up in a situation in which we will end up in some kind of an escalatory situation because we don't understand, we haven't talked to each other. There was a lack of transparency in how you know, countries around the world have adopted and employed these kind of capabilities. Uh, so to achieve these objectives in our report, we argue that number one is the United States should set the condition for leaderships. The United States has always driven when it came to technology, rules of the road. This is another time in which the United States should lead. Uh, the second objective should be that uh, we should shape the terrain of AI development and impact. The third objective would be accelerate implementation of AI you know, by government agencies. Uh, as I said before, um, United States has always led the technological revolution so far. Um, we risk our advantages if we don't move fast enough in this space. Um, I don't think we should be paralyzed by a desire to eliminate every risk. That will be nearly impossible. So we have to find the right balance to harness the opportunity to develop a positive vision and create a global framework to how we address the threats and how we promote our shared values. Yeah, and I think that point's very interesting, sort of the balance between risks and the opportunity. And um, especially when you compare and contrast the U.S. with China, who's certainly not, uh, you know, doing things the same way the U.S. is in terms of managing risk and looking to do so responsibly. Uh, and there's actually an interesting compare and contrast section within the report between the U.S. and China. Um, and I, I'm curious just to dig a little bit more deeply in that comparison. What's the biggest difference between the two nations and how they're approaching AI today? That's a great question, Billy, but I think like fundamentally, these are two different cases and it's really hard to provide a clear net assessment. Um, I know a lot of people have tried really to 
compare uh, our status of AI versus United States. As you know, we did that work with the AI Commission. We did it last year when we issued our first report. And honestly, I believe based on all the unclassified available information, last year's report provided a clear picture of the status of AI adoption, both here and in China. Uh, what we argue in the report we just released on generative AI specifically is that at the moment, the majority of platforms that have been released, these large frontier models, are U.S. platforms. And I mentioned one coming out of UAE. That said, other countries are releasing different models. One country, as I mentioned throughout this interview, that has all the ingredients to be a serious competitor, and we know this from recent history, is China. We have seen what they've done in other areas of technology development. So it shouldn't surprise us that with the top-down leadership they have, with enormous resources they have provided in this space, and the investments in talent they have done over the years, uh, you know, they can come up nearly close with our models. They have, however, a few disadvantages. Uh, they have the data disadvantage, since the majority of the large language models rely on text as an input, and Mandarin is less than 10% of the predominant language of the internet. English is 60% of the dominant language of the internet. So their ability to access data from other apps, such as TikTok, could help them close that gap. Holistically, although we are leading, United States companies and US is leading in this space, China should not be underestimated. We see that they are going through some serious economic challenges, but because they put technology at the center of competition and they view it as a solution to how they can achieve their global commanding heights, as they say, you know, we should take them seriously. They're organized for this competition. As I mentioned, they have dedicated resources towards this issue and they have serious companies. They are at the forefront of this issue. That's very interesting. And I, I think we'll definitely keep an eye on that. And, um, you know, I, I think it's been very interesting here on the home front to also keep an eye on, uh, you know, there's been this mass worry about, uh, from Americans uh, about artificial intelligence in the hands of the U.S. military. And, and obviously that's sort of stoked by science fiction and a lot of the movies and entertainment that have come about in decades past. But, you know, there's been some real concerns, especially as uh, some projects like Project Maven and others uh, have come about in the past. And so I'm curious now that we have this influx of uh, you know, AI within the U.S. military and reports such as uh, SCSPs coming out. Are we past the point about worrying about AI in the hands of the U.S. military? And um, if not, how can the DOD effectively communicate why it's necessary at this point to go all in on AI or risk, you know, uh, being in a place where other nations, some of our biggest competitors have an advantage over the U.S. in this domain? Um, so great question, Billy. And I think this issue, as you, as you said, it has been really at the forefront of many people for many, many years. I think, as you said, uh, I think movies have helped steer the, the imagination among us of, um, uh, how we can use these kind of technologies for particular, you know, scenarios. I think we're far from those, uh, scenarios right now. Uh, do I think people have to be concerned? Absolutely. You know, we live in a democracy. You know, um, I think people have seen what has happened with social media platforms for the last couple of years. So 
Uh, every time we have countered a new technology revolution or transformative moment, you know, people have reacted in different ways. There's a there's an overly optimistic camp about uh, these kind of technologies, and obviously there's a camp that is really concerned. Um, you know, the, one purpose of the report we published this fall is really we wanted to provide a clear-eyed view, and uh, and you know, our team said, look, this is going to be this is going to be a transformative technology probably once in a generation we're going to encounter. But at the same time, we should be able to address a lot of these concerns that we have encountered by previous technologies that can help enhance our societal, you know, uh, prosperity. Um, I think, uh, you know, from a military balance of power and hard power equation, I think generative AI is one of those technologies that's going to raise a lot of eyebrows between, you know, among our adversaries, because when you look at it is our companies that are really at the forefront of this. Uh, so yet again, our adversaries will try to either steal, use. I mean, there's a lot of conversation now about the open source and um, open source models that are being released. Um, and so how can state and non-state actors take these models and really use it against us? How do we, uh, how, how can these models create a potential for strategic imbalances and vulnerabilities? in areas of autonomous weapon systems and cyber attacks. So I think we all have to be mindful of how this technology evolves and all the guardrails we can put in place. I'm always uh, optimistic that our Department of Defense uh, really understands these things. And, you know, they have established a task force uh, called Lima in August that I think it really signals a recognition uh, of the leaders in the Department of Defense on the importance of this technology for national security, but also what needs to be done so we can take it in a responsible and ethical way. Um, I don't think we can expect something like that from countries like Russia and China. Uh, while our Department of Defense has always been transparent about the ways they want to plan to use AI for military purposes, we have never seen anything uh, similar from Moscow or Beijing. Um, but at the same time, you know, like uh, when people talk about AI for military purposes, people usually jump to the the most riskiest scenarios, which is, you know, killer robots, Skynet scenarios. Um, in our NSCI report, we argued there are four categories of AI for what in DoD. The first category, which I think this is what generative AI, most most of the benefits coming out of generative AI can follow are the sort of like the back office responsibilities. You know, streamlining a lot of admin, logistics, bureaucratic back office work, you know, timesheets, travel sheets, all these things that I think private sector has utilized this technology for a long time. The second category is really what we have argued was the indications and warning category. You know, all these models can go through a lot of data, a lot of training data, and can provide you with like what, what's, what's there and what's important right away. And I know with the, you know, the amount of data that our intelligence community now has to handle, these models can help them really streamline their operations you know, provide some of the analysis as a starting point. We will always have humans that will provide the ultimate analysis to the president and the policymakers, but ultimately they can sift through a lot of data and provide that, you know, analysis for the humans to take it forward. The third category is something I mentioned earlier, is the decisional advantage. Uh, all these models can come up with more options than human brains can. So I, I envision the next couple of years as an area in which we will work with a co-pilot. You know, you will do work, you will consult your model, 
The model will help you find your gaps in your analysis and give you new ideas that you never thought about it. I use it daily for those purposes, Billy, and I'm sure many, many other people are using it. So I believe our men and women in uniform should be able to use the same capability. Uh, and then the last category, which I think is probably the most sensitive is all the whole issue of like, how do we use AI for uh, you know mission execution? And I would argue that it is still unclear how the department will be able to use generative AI for weapon systems. I think this is one of the areas that still needs to be determined. I think for the back office responsibilities, this is a no-brainer area. But like, how do you embed generative AI for weapon system? I think this is a still, you know, to be to be determined category that I think we will have to see and observe for years to come. So, Ily, with the time we have left, I, I'm curious. Uh, you know, that, that kind of shares the, the perspective of, you know, the, the fear of some Americans that, you know, if AI is in the hands of the U.S. military, what could go wrong? But what about the opposite? What if we don't, uh, you know, invest or adopt AI as we should and, and others that are our, you know, peer great competitors do? What are the consequences of us falling short in, in that competition? Yeah, so... Look, Billy, when you look historically, every new technology has provided an economic prosperity. Um, you know, if you look at the analysis now around generative AI, almost all analysis like account for like trillions of dollars added to the global economy. So ultimately, if our country is not able to get some of that economic prosperity of this technology, we will fall behind in economic prosperity. Um, we will face job losses because a lot of jobs, if we are not able to transform our labor and reskill them, will ultimately be hit domestically while our other countries, you know, will move forward. Uh, the economic prosperity will ultimately impact national security. And I think that's one area in which, you know, our Department of Defense has always been at the forefront of adopting new technological, you know, uh, new logical inventions for the purposes of our national security and our national defense. And I think AI is, as I said at the beginning, that transformative technology that I think we should, A, analyze it, and then B, seek ways to adopt it faster for the national security purposes. And so this is a decisive decade of the national security strategy issued by the Biden administration says, because not only we're facing this time where this powerful technology is emerging, but also this is happening at the same time we're facing a serious competitor. And that serious competitor, unlike the Soviet Union, there was a military competitor. This, this competitor is a full domain competitor. And, also, and they have put technology at the center of competition. And AI is one of those technologies that I think is going to be central to this competition. So we cannot risk failing behind. I think we should move forward while understanding risk and promoting our values. I think America leads. And I think while leading, we can bring our allies and partners together. But I think this is one of those transformative moments that we cannot risk from behind. Well, Ili, always a pleasure to speak with you. Uh, you have a great insight into this space, and I'm sure we'll continue the conversation over time as this becomes more and more of a matter in the Department of Defense and for national security. But for now, we'll, we'll cap the conversation there. But again, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for having me, Billy.
You can learn more about national security and generative AI at the dailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all podcast platforms. If you've already rated the podcast on your platform of choice, thanks so much. High ratings and good reviews of the show help more people to find it. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. Adam Butler and Carlin Fisher help put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. We'll be back next week with brand new episodes. Until then, I'm your host, Billy Mitchell. Thanks so much for listening.